You are listening to CFRO Community Radio Station. The upcoming show, Conscious Living Radio, is a program that explores frontiers of consciousness, spirituality, personal growth, emerging paradigms in psychology, health, science, and innovative philosophies that reflect commitment to the advancement of individual, social, and global transformation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Conscious Living, uh, co-op radio on Wednesday nights, 6 to 7 p.m., and at the moment on Facebook. I'm Tasha Sims. And I'm Mark Crone. And in a few more moments, Tasha, we'll be on YouTube. Really? We're streaming there? You mean? We're not streaming there, but I post everything to our new YouTube channel I've created in ah. the course of this you know, pandemic. It's just doing new things. So, so hi to YouTube crowd. Yeah, absolutely. So today I'm pretty excited. We're talking with Lisa Samet. She's a naturopath with a practice based in Montreal, specializes in homeopathy, nutrition, emotional wellness. She publishes a newsletter, writes a blog. She's a lecturer on topics from emotional repatterning, homeopathy, menopause, and the aging brain. And her recent book, Emotional Repatterning, Healing Emotional Pain by Rewiring the Brain. That's our topic today. So we're going to discuss ideas, techniques. Hopefully you'll get some tools that are in her book um, to help uncover and rebalance some of those subconscious beliefs that can underline our stuck places, both mental and physical, and all those things that get in the way of emotional wellness, which Honestly, with so much COVID fatigue and so much uh, challenge, I think people are really challenged to be comfortable with the unknown. Um, We're wired for the known, and so that's kind of not possible today exactly. We've got to learn new ways, and so hopefully today we'll give you some tools to be able to do that. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So you were a naturopath for over 20 years. You were dealing with improving health, committed to that. I'm curious, what was it that called you to kind of deepen your understanding about the mind-body connection and then write a book about emotional rewiring? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm a holistic practitioner, and I practice mostly homeopathy, as you said. And, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners know much about homeopathy, but it's an amazing approach to general wellness, and it's very holistic. A remedy can treat the person physically, mentally, emotionally, etc. And so working closely with people for 20 years is, you know, quite an experience because people let you in and you really get to see what they're struggling with. And it became obvious, and I'm not the first person to say this, but I could see with my own eyes that, you know, emotional suffering and lack of well-being seem to be very correlated with physical disease. And, you know, that's not new, but it was very apparent to me. So I realized that I wasn't doing like a full service in helping my patients if I couldn't help them with the emotional piece that they were struggling with. And often homeopathy is able to address a lot of that in terms of grief and anger and things like that. But there seemed to be a piece left that wasn't always addressed. And so it was 
kind of a challenge for me. How can I show up for these people on that level? What could I offer over and above what I was already offering and what we were already doing that would help them change their perception or turn things around and be less stuck in what they were struggling with? And so it, it really became an interest uh, that became even personal because, you know, who, who among us is not suffering? <laughs> right, right. And to me, because I think we all know that so much of our understanding of life and ourselves and the world is a construct that's created when we're young, under seven, where, you know, to the child, everything's personal. You're the center of the universe. Um, so we perceive a certain way at that age, which underlies, do you believe it underlies our future difficulties or our current difficulties that you can root many of them back to uh, the beliefs we took on from childhood? A hundred percent. And if I didn't believe that before in the last five to 10 years as I've been doing this work with patients, I have become completely convinced that so much of what is told to us when we're young kids, because we don't have the emotional maturity and the context with which to understand how these things are said, uh, this becomes, you know, something that these kind of off-the-hand comments by teachers, parents, etc., get uh, embedded in us as kind of deep beliefs because we don't have the ability to sort through them and say, gee, that person's angry, they didn't mean that, or that person really should go see a therapist because they have their own problems, right? So a lot of these things, they come to us and we're as five-year-olds, eight-year-olds, three-year-olds, we take this in as truth, and then we're kind of, we carry these things forward uh, forever unless they're addressed in terms of subconscious beliefs. Yeah, and we're going to hopefully dive into how, because I'm always about how do you heal from those or uncover them. We'll get there in a sec, but first, can maybe yeah. maybe it's best. Let's define emotional uh, repatterning with a kind of overview of how it can change the brain. Because really, it wasn't that long ago um, before the whole word neuroplasticity existed that people believed that the brain couldn't, it was the only organ that couldn't regrow or regenerate. We know that's not true. Um, can right. you kind of give us a Cole's notes around neuroplasticity and how it's possible to change the wiring in the brain? Yes, and, you know, maybe I'll, I'll answer that maybe from a slightly different approach. As I've come to read and learn and study and, and go to various uh, trainings, what I've come to understand is that it's more to look at it as the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, right? And I think that that's a really helpful approach. Why is that? The conscious mind is our thoughts, and we're aware of our thoughts, and we, we think, and we discuss, and we... We make uh, promises to ourselves, we're going to lose the weight, we're going to not yell at our kids, we're, we have all these ideas, we have these goals, these affirmations, and we have all of this in our conscious mind. And how many of us fail at doing most of what we set out to do there? Uh, most of us, I would guess, or at least a lot of the time. So we come to understand the limits of our desires and our goals in terms of seeing them through to fruition. It seems like no matter how much we want it, it's just hard to get there and keep ourselves there. And why is that? Because all of this study on the brain has uncovered the fact that there's this huge repository called the subconscious mind, right, which is underneath our conscious understanding, which actually uh, comprises a lot of how our brain functions that we're not aware of. 
And that's where these old patterns, these old beliefs, these old things from childhood kind of get stuck. So what became apparent to me is as long as we're not dealing with things on that level, we're really not going to change anything. And that was an aha moment because, you know, we all are frustrated with, well, I had the best of intentions here. How come it didn't work out? How come I didn't follow through with it? Yeah. So it's really about working with the subconscious mind, and that's tricky in and of itself because by definition it's subconscious, right? But I think that that's where the opportunity lies. And do you agree that the brain um, is in the body? The subconscious is not just in the brain. It's actually in the body, that, that there's information the body is giving you and speaking to you directly, um, trying to communicate that we're not fluent in. Would you agree with that? Yes, and I, and I think that that's maybe where the link with disease uh, comes, right? Because uh, as we have those old patterns, those thinking tapes, all of those underlying beliefs about who we are and how we are in the world, I think that's where the disease process starts. You know, for when we don't love ourselves, we don't feel good about ourselves, when we have negative and limiting beliefs about ourselves that play as background music all the time, I think that's the seed of disease. Right. And so if we could deal with it in that level, you know, could that be an upgrade to our health? I would certainly believe so. And yet we're evolutionary, I don't know if this is a word, evolutionarily <laughs> wired yes, right, yes. to avoid pain. And yet it's that very avoidance that perpetuates suffering. And I, I see that all the time, even to the extent where um, if we're talking about a relationship with feelings and someone, if, well, I'll personalize. If I share how I'm feeling something and it's not in the poly, what I call the Pollyanna bracket, meaning it's all not, not light and fluffy, immediately well-intentioned people are attempting to make it better, assuming yeah. there's something wrong. And right. to me, my understanding of healing work is it's got to start not with an avoidance of those feelings, but an acceptance of what is and and moving out of good bad it's just a feeling it has information the feeling itself is not good or bad does is that in alignment with what you've I totally agree and you know as I as I continued to do this work and I kept getting these aha moments with patients and then of course with my own self I, I came to kind of ask the question like why weren't we ever told this stuff I mean you know, all these years on the planet, all this school that I did, uh, none of these subjects were ever discussed. I, I studied so much stuff that was such garbage that I never used again after I spit it back out on a test. And here is the core of life and the core of how to show up with your life and make the most of it. And people don't discuss this. And I, yeah. I was really actually thinking, like, why not? And then, you know, the nickel dropped. And I was like, well, because none of those people knew either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how could they teach it to us, right? So it's almost like we're almost the pioneers of this information or this understanding that it's up to us to try to kind of spread the word and, and hand it down to generations. And like normalize, normalize this approach, right? Yes. We're mm-hmm. all suffering. That's actually the yeah. nature of coming to planet Earth. That's the contract we signed, right? It's we're suffering because we're being confronted and we're here to learn and grow. And the stuff that's easy where we're not suffering, we already knew. And the stuff that's hard, which is what we have to learn, is exactly what's causing us to feel bad and feel pain and suffer. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly where we're supposed to be. And so I guess the question is, and now what? 
Well, before we, before we go to the how, um, just to be super clear, because of this avoidance where it's a a bit of a dichotomy inside ourselves, we're trying, you know, in some situations, it's a good thing to avoid pain, you putting your hand on the fire, you want to take it off. But in this case, emotional pain, and based on these old subconscious beliefs, do you believe it's an essential piece to release it, that you have to feel it? That's a good question. I think that it is probably essential to feel it because that's the wake-up call that something needs to change. So if we don't get hit in the head by the two-by-four and suffer, we don't get the light bulb that says, okay, how do I navigate this better? Because the way I'm showing up for this problem obviously isn't working because I'm miserable. So there's got to be a better way. And once that question is asked, well, then doors open and possibilities come to the forefront that weren't there before. So maybe, you know, I guess the question is not do we have to suffer, but for how long do we have to suffer, right? Because some people live in that for years and years. Right. And so if if feeling the feelings is an essential step to then move, like you have to know where you are before you can go somewhere else. Um, What is a tool that you could advocate or a practice that you could um, offer that helps people I want to say make friends with your feelings regardless of the feeling. Some are obviously more difficult to feel, but I don't think we can evaluate that. If it's arising in the body, there's a reason. And to release it, you've got to be with it. So is there something you could offer? Most people are afraid to feel for two reasons. Either it's too intense, like a tsunami, or they're numb. And they don't even know that it's a feeling in their body. And they just have, they have avoided it all for so long. It becomes like some weird concept. What do you mean? Feel grief or feel um, needy. That's a really icky one for most people. Like people just avoid some of the darker, uh, trickier, tangled places. So is there something you could offer to support the listeners in making friends with their feelings, regardless of the feeling? Well, it's my view that, you know, you, you do have the option. <laughs> I mean, you can decide not to go there, and frankly, many people do. And they maybe miss an opportunity to look a bit deeper and do an upgrade, but that's a choice. I think that's where freedom of, freedom of choice does come into play. So it, it is an option. But in my experience, we're here to learn and grow. So if we refuse to deal with it, the universe is going to turn up the dial. I mean, there's just no way of getting out of it. We can postpone. We can look the other way. We can pretend. But you're going to get it again and again and again until you can no longer run and you can no longer avoid confronting what's going on. That's what I've lived personally. That's what close people to me have gone through. And I think that's probably the way it works. So, you know, pay now, pay later. The, the sad thing is pay later has a much higher interest rate. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. If you don't get the little poke on the shoulder from the universe, then it becomes, like you said, the two by four, and then it's your house on your head, and then it, it just keeps the ante keeps going up, not because you're being punished, but because right. this, to me, a benign universe wants you, you're in alignment when you're expanding, when you're growing and being all you can be, then you're in alignment with that force, whatever you want to call it, however you interpret the universe. And when we're resisting that, that's to me where the pokes start coming, going, hey, 
hey, you're believing that you're not good enough, you're believing you're not important, you're believing that you're whatever it is, right? It's like, can you, like, get this, you are actually per- quite perfect, if, if that's right. your, you know, where you're perfect headed. In your, in your, yeah, perfect in your imperfection. I mean, in yeah. my book, Emotional Repatterning, uh, and maybe you read this part, you know, I talk about gifts, and, that, and it's a whole chapter, gifts. These are gifts. We tend not to see it that way because pain is a yucky thing and we want to avoid it at all costs. But these are gifts. We are here to learn and grow. That's the definition most people, I think, don't approach and don't, um, don't see. So, yes, these are gifts, and they, they can be looked at as such. And then if somebody gives you a gift, what now? How do I show up with that? And, you know, you just said it, and I think it's a really big part of the book. Most of the work that has to be done is between me and me. <laughs> you know, we tend to think that the problems are out there. He did this. She mm-hmm. said that. You know, I, I can't stand my boss. I don't like my wife. You know, my kids are torturing me. I had a fight with my friend. My mother drives me crazy. And we're very much externalized in how we look at the problems. And, you know, the saddest thing is that we can't change the others. I mean, you know, and I say that because wouldn't it be great if we had a magic wand and we could just tap all those faulty people on the shoulder <laughs> and poof, they would become the great people that they should be and make my life easier. That's why they have. Th- that's why they have therapists. They come into my office going, "Change him or change her." It's yeah, like, no. exactly. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but I wasn't born with that magic wand. What do you think, Mark? Were you born with that wand? No, I certainly wasn't. But what I was going to say was, imagine if everybody had a magic wand fixing everybody else, and that means somebody's got a magic wand fixing you. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, According to their definition. Messy. Yeah. Yeah. So now I have a question yeah. for you. When you were, were talking about uh, the subconscious. Uh, People will talk about being unconscious. My question is, is there a difference? And if we're in a situation where somebody's actually maybe not aware or in denial or not acknowledging their thoughts or feelings or whatever, is it subconscious, is it unconscious? Where does that lie in the psyche? Right. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I would say that subconscious is something that we don't know but we have access to. Right? So there is a subconscious, and we can access it, but that's a little bit of a tricky part, right? But it is there for us. There are beliefs, there are patterns, there are thoughts, there are disturbances, there are things underneath that we are not privy to on the surface, but that we can get there, and we can become conscious of what's in our subconscious. So maybe that's the best way that I would answer your question. But, you know, getting back to what I was saying is that what I, I, I learned and was really a shock to me was that really everything is within us, and it, it's not about the others, and it's never about the others. That's really like an aha moment, right? Mm-hmm. It's always about us, because if I'm reacting to the others, it's because there's something going on in me, because when I'm well in myself, I'm not going to be so disturbed about what's going on on the outside. I may not love it. I may not be enjoying every minute of it, but it's not going to be bothering me. Like, you know, I always laugh when someone's in my office and they say, well, my husband always makes me feel like I'm not good enough. Yeah. And I, and I always laugh. It's like, really? Your husband has access to your feeling. I mean, is there a dial there? Like, how does he make you feel anything? I mean, doesn't the language reveal a lot? You know, wouldn't it be more responsible for us to say, when I'm with my husband, I often feel blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, then I have my power back. 
I feel a certain way, I can also feel differently in that case. But if my husband is making me feel a certain way, well, I guess I'm kind of stuck because I'm not going to change him. That's right. Yeah. So I guess I'm just a victim of that and, you know, end of story. And, that. and also asking oneself, when have I felt this before? Different story, different people, but I don't know anyone who isn't in a reaction, present time reaction, that if they took a breath and went inside into their own body and asked that question, they wouldn't immediately get multiple situations of whatever it is, not good enough. It's a theme. It's part of that pattern that, Mark, you were saying you, you like looking for. It goes all the way back. And so to me, the, the question is when you realize, gee, I felt this way before I met my partner, then you, you can own it as opposed to yeah. pin, it, pin it on them. It's like, hmm, this was happening way before, just different story, different cast of characters. So, you know, then we ask, why, do, why is that our default mode, to mm-hmm. see it about the others and not about ourselves? And I think that's where it gets interesting, because there's all this shame going on, right, that yeah. I shouldn't be that person who, you know, is, um, feels small, or it's got to be their fault. And, and I think that that's a fundamental paradigm shift about why we're here on the planet, right, which is the thing that we're not taught by the people and the teachers that raised us. If we could understand that we're actually here, we have a ticket here. It's an 80-year show, right, or give or take a few years. It's a ticket. It's an opportunity to learn and grow. How are we going to make the best of that time? By being confronted with situations that are owies, right? So then we can say, oh, look, that's a gift. Now what do I want to do with that? How can I do a little software upgrade here to show up better and incorporate the learning and evolve? But because we don't see it like that, we have all this embarrassment and all this shame. So we have to make it about the other because it's too painful to make it about ourselves. But I think that needs to change. We need to see that differently. It's mm-hmm. great that it's about me because I'm here to learn about right. me. And I can so do something. it's fine if I'm not perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, let, let's just dig into shame a little bit more before we veer off. Can I because- ask one question before we go there? Because it might be relative your question and my question was just is this learned behavior or do you think it's an innate part of our humanness to you know um blame people outside of ourselves and because it's very much there's a pattern in humanity especially in the western world and certain things that way do you think that if we started teaching this stuff in school and being part of our upbringing that that would change i do I really do, and I don't really have a model to point to and say over there in Papua New Guinea, they do it right, and look, their people are so much happier. You know, I don't know of any place that does it better, although I'm sure there are places, but imagine a world where you're born to parents and educated by teachers who totally see it this way, and it's always brought back with loving kindness to you, and how are you feeling, and do you feel good enough about yourself? And why do you think you reacted that way when he or she said that? And you were taught from the beginning to always bring it back home so that you could look inside and find out what was the trigger point there and what you needed to understand better to show up better with any given situation. I think we would have internalized that. We're sponges when we're young. And we would have grown up with that as the default mode instead of the default mode we have, which is how our parents reacted to the same crap which was in the same unsophisticated ways. I mean, I don't know about your parents, but I can't say that my parents had a mastery on this. 
So I think we were raised by these models. We, you know, whether they verbally said it or we just watched them interact with the world, we took all that in, and here we are doing it the same way. Can I throw my two bits in there? Because I, I think it's it's a little bit different from my perspective because as a child, everything is about you. So it's not about other people. It's not like you, we had said earlier, it's not mom needs a therapist or dad needs to do some work on his anger. Nor is it that anger is bad. The child goes, I'm bad. I'm yeah. unlovable. I am. And that's the root of shame is that it's so core personal. But then as we grow, the next stage of development, you can't keep feeling that. It's so painful to feel that. So we yeah. cover it up. And in the cover comes this being externally referenced and finding blame outside of self. I think it's part of um, uh, both a natural process and a dysfunctional stage of growth so that in the covering up of that shame now comes the this externalization of what's at fault and so the answer is when we turn around and go back in we've got to go to that core we've got to have the the guts to feel whatever it was we felt knowing that it's not true as as simple as that and and then then we move to the how how do you do that because if you don't feel it you don't feel it like shame is not something people walk around going how are you feeling today mark oh i'm uh, in my shame like we don't hear those words and every time i've said them someone will go oh like it's a problem again that thing of oh my goodness we got to fix this no it means i'm closer than ever being in a place that's so uncomfortable and not pleasant but it means i'm closer to me to the core of where the distortion occurred right um yeah. Anyway, I don't know if that's completely different, but to me, it doesn't feel like we can, I'm not sure, I think we can create a container for children to learn this process in a much better way, but I'm not sure it's always, um, that, that I think that externally referenced piece is a cover for the shame. Like it's you how know, we survive I, the shame. I, I think that's very well said, and I actually I, I totally agree with you. I, I guess the question is, you know, where does the shame come from? And, yes. and I think that the shame comes from this idea that we're supposed to be perfect yeah. or better, Yeah. right? So then if yeah. I'm not perfect or I'm not better, then I'm embarrassed and I'm shamed and I want right. to hide that from everybody yeah. else because right. I should be perfect and I right. should have known that already and right. I should have shown up and looked perfect on the outside. Right. And so Indeed. I think that, that that's where the issue is with shame. Yeah. If I could yeah. understand that I'm here to learn and grow – and, I, and if I was already perfect, I wouldn't have come. Yeah. And there's no idea that I should be perfect. So I don't need to be feeling shame when I'm not perfect. Right. right. And it's all connected with being wrong. Like I know in your book, you talk about, you literally say, hey, take 100% responsibility, responsibility for your part. Because it's always there. There's always your part. So just own that. And, and that moves you into a very much more centered place than being externally referenced. And that's, that's what you're talking about, that I think wrong in, in the way we've been conditioned. When we're wrong, it's, it's as if it's equal to this shame and this belief that we're not perfect. Right. And, you know, it, ironically, when you take responsibility for what's yours in the dynamic and even a bit more, then that's the power position. Yeah. That's what people don't realize intuitively until they get there. And they're like, oh, when I can own this big chunk of, of responsibility in the dynamic, wow, now I've got options. So it actually feels much better to be responsible for my part because 
then I can do a multitude of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. When it's everybody else's fault, well, I guess I'm stuck. <laughs> That's right. Accountability. I always say accountability is like fresh, clean water flowing mm-hmm. over you. It actually cleanses and feels good, whereas mm-hmm. guilt or this recrimination or regret um, or self-judgment feels thick and heavy and blech, like murky gunk, right? And. And in my experience, when you take responsibility, especially in conflict or if someone's blaming you and you know that it is, you know, maybe your responsibility, I don't want to say fault, but, you know, it was you. In my experience, when you actually nail that right away and go, actually, you know what, you are right. That was my responsibility. You take ownership. It feels good, like Tasha was saying, for you, because it's kind of like, you're not kind of hiding it. And then the other person, you know, it it totally de-escalates you know, the conflict or the, the blame game when you actually own your part of the responsibility in whatever situation it is. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's, it's not only responsibility in, in a dynamic. It, it, we can also take responsibility for our own thoughts, right? The, the negativity, the pessimism, and the suffering that goes on in between our ears 24-7 for a lot of people, uh, can, we can also take responsibility for that and ask ourselves, what do I need to do to feel better? And that, that's mine to own. And what if I were to shift perspectives here or tell myself a different story than the one I've been telling myself, which causes me so much pain? Can I just take responsibility for my internal dialogue and do an upgrade there? That would be enormously yeah. freeing. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, I think it, it's on all levels we can show up and say, what's mine here? What can I take and therefore change? And I love how in the book you talk about um, the gap between how things are and how they, how we think they should be is equal to the degree of our suffering. I mean, that's just so succinct. Maybe you could say a little bit more about that because I think it's, it's like a key to freedom if you really get that piece. I know. And believe me, I think of, of, you know, this book has been a personal journey for me. And I think that that one piece, the acceptance piece, is probably the one I struggle with the most. Because I always think that things and people should be different than they are. And that's been my work. And I realize that to the extent that I don't accept people and situations as they are, my dissonance with that, the greater my dissonance, the greater I suffer. And so that's in my control to fix. And as soon as I can get my head around the fact that this is how that person is, that's simply, it's not personal to me, it's not against me. This is them. Or that situation that's so wrong, that's so hard, that's so tough, is the way it is. It is the way it is. Ah, I just start to feel this. Like tension leaves my shoulders. It yeah. doesn't mean I like the person any better. It doesn't mean I'm happy with the situation anymore. It just means that my suffering gets reduced because I, I accept. I'm no longer fighting with reality. Right. I accept this is how it is. Okay, now what? Instead right. of that internal argument, well, he shouldn't have said that, and she should have been doing it this way, and that shouldn't have happened that way. And all of that arguing with, with reality, which is my lack of acceptance, is what causes me pain. And when you get that, you can say, oh, okay, I could do it differently. I can just accept almost the unacceptable. And by accepting it, doesn't mean I have to like it. Different, right? Accept and like. I can dislike, but accept something. 
And then I feel less stress and I'm not suffering as much. Immediately, right? And even with oneself, or especially with oneself, which was, you know, I was looking at your book uh, a couple of days ago, and that's where I landed across that statement. And so I just, it was one of those days where I was uh, struggling physically. And um, I just went, I feel so useless. Like I started to have to go down the meaning. To me, it's about meaning. The feelings aren't a problem. The meaning I make about the feelings that can be problematic. But I caught the train and I went, I I heard that sentence in my head and I went, just accept what's going on. Okay. I'm finding it difficult. I'm dizzy. I have a broken shoulder. I like, I just, just went, this is reality right now. And my whole body relaxed and went, yep, there is no, I must not, or I should, you know, I'm not better yet. It's just how it is. And that brings incredible relief. To the and the key, the key here is you can hate it. Yeah. <laughs> you can hate it. You know, acceptance yeah. doesn't mean like. You yeah. can say, I hate this. I'm in pain. I feel miserable. I feel helpless. I hate this. But you can still accept that this is today. This is the moment. This is what I'm up against right now. And it does make it better. Is it, is it a magic bullet? No. But it certainly is relief because you're not fighting anymore with what is. And so as a first step, it then moves me to the next question, which we've already kind of touched on when we talk about the universe trying to get you to to grow and awaken. The next question for me is not why is this happening, which is quite victim down a victim path, but what is this for? What is this for? And that then opens, it's an opening question because you're already based on the assumption that something's going on here that has some uh, benefit to you, even if it feels horrible and you don't like it, right? So it's very opening. Whereas why is this happening to me becomes closed victim, poor me, right? Yes, yes, totally, totally. And that's where your opportunity is, I think, in that moment to to do the upgrade. You know, it's like a software upgrade. We're just here to learn and evolve. And if we could really, really, really get that, I think life wouldn't be so hard, so painful, so much suffering. So let's get into some hows, because I I love that part. I love getting practical with all this um, knowledge. I mean, it rings true. It makes sense. And then people's, even though people get it in their head, it doesn't necessarily mean they know what to do next. And so when you think about emotional repatterning, um, Let's go for how. How does one do that? I mean, we've already said a few things about, you know, accepting what is and knowing that there's something beneficial, perhaps a learning going on, a gift, as you called it in your book, in this, even if it's a tragedy, even if it's extremely difficult, there's something there for you. So those two things are a kind of mindset or or climate inside um, that that fosters the beginning. But we also talked about beliefs and core beliefs that need to be corrected. I wonder if you can offer something, some specific tools as we continue to step towards rewiring, literally, because those beliefs are wired into the brain, and we're re- repeating them in our little, whatever our modus operandi is. So can you offer some practical Steps for yes, our listeners. With pleasure. I, I, you know, I, I have been trained and learned many, many techniques over the last ten years, and I, and I think what I practice in my office, and what I've tried to distill down into the book that's simple enough for people to read it and understand it, is basically, I guess, in two parts. One is, what do I suspect is in my subconscious? 
that's actually the root of the pain I'm feeling now, because it's never about the story, right? The story is just indicative of, of what's happening underneath that I believe. So I like to say all these stories are like the leaves, and the beliefs I have underneath in my subconscious are the roots. And if I'm going to deal with the leaves, I'm going to be working for a long time because any tree has thousands and thousands of leaves, right? So why don't we just cut to the chase and go deep down and try to understand what the roots are. And if I can work at the level of the roots, then I can make changes. So step one is what is it that must be in my subconscious mind at the root level that's causing these distortions in how I see things? And I, you know, I like to say that these distortions are like glasses. You know, what the prescription is, is wrong. And so we're not seeing things clearly. And when I can see things better, of course, I'm going to show up better in the world. So how do we get that prescription to be more accurate so that we can see more clearly? It's to change some of the things at the root. So step one is to try to understand and identify what are the root core beliefs that are causing me to suffer. And then step two is now what do I do about changing them? So taking step one. So, you know, in working with people for all these years, hundreds of people, and really getting into it on a deep level, what I've really come to understand is that so many people don't love themselves. And, and you know, it's got to start there because, if it's, you know, if we don't love ourselves, it's, it's really not going to go very well in the outside world, right? Because if I don't love myself, I can't really give love in a pure way, and maybe worse, I can't accept love. Because if the, if the faucet is turned off, uh, because I don't love myself, I cannot receive love from somebody else. It just simply won't go in. So, you know, finding out and, and kind of dealing with it at the root level, I love myself. I am safe. I have infinite worth and value. I trust myself. I am enough. I believe in myself. I know how to set good boundaries. I am in touch with my intuition. Right? All of these things are, are so core and so fundamental that we want to make sure that our beliefs are, are right there. For me, it's, like, it's kind of like healing the fractures that have occurred through all these long years that I've been on the planet. You know, He said this, she said that, my parents told me one thing, my teacher said another thing. Little fractures accumulated along the way. Can I go back to myself and heal those fractures within myself? And if I do a good job of that, wow, the leaves get better in a big hurry. <laughs> so step one is just trying to identify. Step two is, is then trying to change those beliefs, right, at the mm-hmm. fundamental subconscious right. level. You had a comment or a thought about no, that? No, it was exactly that, going, okay, that's great. So even if you know, you, you know, I think if you've been doing your work for a while, you have an idea of what some of those root um, core beliefs are that aren't serving you. The next question is, how? Is it through repetition? Is it like a muscle that needs to be exercised that, right. you know, with a new way? Like specifically, how do you yeah. um, change a core belief? So there are many ways to do it, but what I suggest in the book, Emotional Repatterning, is a very simple way that we can all do that is going to work, okay? And that technique actually comes from something called Brain Gym. Have you ever heard of Brain Gym? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in 2013, not even this is before I really got involved with any of this, I ended up taking a class in Brain Gym because I worked in my practice with many autistic children and children with learning delays. And 
brain gym purports to do certain exercises that activate both hemispheres of the brain to make learning easier. And that has been used in many schools and in many programs to help children with learning problems. And so understanding that and taking many other courses, I put it all together. And for me, it was like, okay, if there is a tool or a technique that causes the brain to be more receptive to learning, could we use that and try to teach our subconscious, our deep learning brain, a new belief? a new idea. So for example, simply enough, if I suspect I don't love myself, well, I'd rather believe instead that I love myself, right? And, and, and it's as easy as, as, as a minute to change that because this is not based on facts. These are beliefs. Beliefs can change. Presented with new ideas and new evidence, beliefs change in a second. So these are not hard things to change. They're just hard to get at, right? But once you're there, you can say, okay, if I don't love myself, who cares why? Who cares why? I could spend 10 years in therapy exploring that, and nothing might change at the end of that, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if, if I just feel inside that maybe my self-love isn't where it needs to be, I can put my brain into active learning mode, repeat it over and over again as if I'm teaching my brain something new, and then know deep down that I do love myself. So... One of the easiest techniques in Brain Gym, okay, because there are many, is to simply sit with one ankle over the other. Let's say it doesn't matter which one for purposes of this conversation. One wrist on top of the other, okay, and then I grab my hands from my palms facing each other, right? One wrist on top. I face my palms toward each other, grab my hands, and fold under, or simply fold them in my lap, okay? So the key is that it's right over left or left over right. So I'm now sitting in a position where one ankle is crossed on the other, one wrist is crossed over the other, and this activates both hemispheres of my brain because we know that the right hemisphere controls the left side of the body and the left hemisphere controls the right side of the body. So if I'm all twisted up, like this, right over left, left over right, I'm engaging both hemispheres of my brain. My brain is now in active learning mode. If I close my eyes and I repeat to myself a couple of dozen times, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself, until I feel something shift inside myself, until I feel a relief, a sigh, a sense that it's really, really deeply true for myself, Then I have just taught my brain to believe something new. Hmm. And if I do that repeatedly with beliefs that I identify that I don't have, I am training my brain at a deep level in this physical position to believe a different belief. It's just upgrading. It's almost so easy as to be unbelievable, right? Because we, we, we have been trying all along to repeat things yeah. and repeat things and repeat things, affirmations. affirmations and whatnot. But we haven't really been in a situation where we're accessing the subconscious mind. Right. We've only been playing with the conscious mind, which in all the studies of the brain apparently is only worth 5%. The conscious mind is only worth 5% of brain activity. So if I'm working with my conscious mind, even if I do a fabulous job of it, I'm only improving 5%, which is not very much. 
So I want to get to the subconscious and teach the subconscious a new belief. And that's really healing some of these old fractures. So it's really putting down on paper where I feel the weaknesses are, writing and saying to myself the positive statement that I want to teach myself, a new belief, putting myself in a physical position where deep learning can occur because I've activated both sides of the brain and then repeating it. And I think the other one, I can't do that one because of my sh- broken shoulder. I can barely do it. I just did it now, right. but barely. You can, can keep you, your hands in your lap if you want. You can just leave them like that. But also, can you just share the one that I remember my son went to Waldorf and they used to teach math and multiplication. Yes. What yes. It, They called it eurythmy, where you went um, cross touching the knee yes. as you did multiplication tables. So is that, that's another exactly. brain gym state that gets the brain ready exactly. to change? Yes. So, could, so I talk about that in the book, Emotional Repatterning also. And I'm glad you know about this. That's so much fun because most people don't know so much about brain gym. And, you know, in these schools, Waldorf schools and alternative schools, they do make use of these techniques. So yes, that one's also easy. Basically you stand up, you tap your right palm on your left knee, which you raise. Right? You hit your, your, your left knee with your right palm, and then you cross over and you hit your right knee with your left palm. Right, You raise your knee and you do kind of a dance. So it's like this and like this yeah. and like this. And once again, you are activating both sides of your brain because you're doing this crossover, which alerts both sides of your brain. When your brain is alerted in both hemispheres, you're in active learning mode. And that's teaching you something in your deep subconscious brain. And it's like the little portal to get in there because otherwise, how do we get into the subconscious? There's, there's no direct route because it's under our conscious awareness. Yeah, I mean, it's something we haven't talked much about meditation and trance work, but that's something I'm really partial to as well. But I'm listening to you going, you know what, for those who struggle with meditation and with going into the body, because mm-hmm. that to me is how I access the unconscious or subconscious, doing something like this to start before they actually go into the process, something this physical, or putting your hands like that, who says, hey, do that when you go into before you meditate, like it could be really helpful to just balance the brain and get some of that chatter calmed down right yes, well, I like that. You, yes i was just gonna say it's funny that you mentioned that tasha because when i was away at the retreat one time one of the gurus the guy who gave me my spiritual name his meditation was super simple and it was all about having your hands fingers crossed and your feet crossed it says it doesn't matter wow. how you're sitting yeah. Right? He says you can be sitting in a chair, you can be sitting in lows, whatever you want to do, but make sure your fingers and your feet are crossed and breathe. And when you were describing that, I was like, oh, that makes it because he was just about meditation's got to be simple. Let's not overcomplicate yeah. it. Yeah. And breathe. And then he plays flute and then you'd breathe and we play. And that was it. But it was cross the fingers, cross the feet, cross the hands, cross right. the feet. So I thought yeah, it was, we, we can't we, we tend to dismiss the simple things because they seem mm. kind of ridiculous, right? But actually, isn't it true for you that every aha moment that you've had has actually been something so incredibly simple that you managed to overlook it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. always. It's to me right. the dot, dot, dot. As soon as that, you know, it's just a pause of a connector that's missing, like a slice of, I, I always keep coming back to CRISPR. Do you know about the CRISPR program where yes, they slice your sure. DNA? 
and then yeah. insert a piece to change. I mean, it's a bit frightening when we think of the human genome and manipulation of it, but this is kind of like emotional CRISPR work where you're going in there going, well, this isn't true. Cut it out <laughs> and they'll bridge that gap with something that works. Yeah. Right. I love that. I think the key is just to teach yourself something positive, something that you want, something hopeful, something that you would like to believe. Because, of course, you know, we create and we attract what we believe. If I believe I'm a bad person, if I believe I'm not good, if I believe I'm stupid, if I believe I'm fill in the blank, well, how am I going to show up in the world with those deep beliefs? And what am I going to attract? I mean, it's not going to be great, right? Absolutely. But if I do my internal work and I know who I am, and I say those in capital letters, right, who I am, I'm a little piece of divinity, as we all are. And if I can embrace that and show up knowing that, well, gosh, everything's going to look better, don't you think? Absolutely. And in today's world, I think it's extra important because there's so much um, polarization occurring between yeah. people and they're missing that little piece. Well, it's not little. It's, as you say, it's massive. That if you understood that polarization first inside yourself and applied to yourself everything you're wanting to apply externally, it's it's the start. It is um, changing the system from the inside out. Yeah. So we only have a couple more minutes. I want to make sure people know where they can get your book, Emotional Repatterning, Healing Emotional Pain by Rewiring the Brain. I highly recommend it. Tell our listeners where they can get a copy. Okay, hold on one second. I just had a sound problem. Just rebooting that. Yes, you can hear me? Yep. Uh, yeah, so it's the it's ship the end of this month. It's on Amazon or any bookseller. It's on all the, uh, the book sites. And uh, it's available for pre-order now. What I go through in the book is I talk a lot about the errors uh, in thinking. I call them thinking traps. Things that end up, you know, getting, getting us stuck. And when we're stuck... Uh, is where we suffer. So I talk about that in detail so people can recognize in themselves where that applies. And then at the end, I teach some of these very simple techniques about how to get unstuck and how to do an upgrade on our beliefs. Yeah, I love how clear it is. I think you called it the eight spheres of emotion where things get tangled up. And they're, we've talked about them without yeah. saying that they were under that category, but it was things like the self-acceptance and uh, self-love and taking responsibility for our stories, all the things that we've kind of touched on, but you put it in such a nice little um, capsule that it's, it's a good bite, like it's easy to work with. So I love that about your book. Yeah, thank you. I think the mm-hmm. book is very approachable. It's very simple. I use my patient stories to illustrate the point. So it's very human. And I think when we read it, we say, gosh, that could have been me, you know, or I totally yeah. relate to that person because I've lived that in my own life. So Hopefully it's, uh, it's easy and it's approachable and it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a big impact on each person reading it. That's my sincerest wish. Do you have well, any? I, sorry, just, I just want to say I, I love that you, you bring in, you know, the story so that people can recognize that it's not just them. The, the commonalities of our, mm-hmm. you know, problems or stories or feelings are, yeah. you know, we're, we may have different story and stuff, but. You know, we all go through those feelings. So as different as we are, we're very, very much the same on so many levels. So let's stop avoiding them and mm-hmm. 
help help each other heal from yeah. them. Do you have any upcoming events you want to? It's, it's our shared human. It's our shared human uh, experience. Is what it is. We are not alone with our own shame and our own suffering. We are all here together dealing with variations on the same theme. Yeah, there's no to me no greater joy than someone who knows that and is willing to hold hands on the journey. But it's hard. I can't just can't do Pollyanna anymore, which I used to do. You know, he's moving to the light. It just doesn't have the same substance. It's fine, but it's not sustainable, right? It's not the whole picture. So, 100%. yeah, I totally agree. It's about you know being real and being authentic with what's true and having the courage to show up for that. And it's it's very rewarding as a journey. It's, it's yeah. maybe hard, but it's very rewarding. Worth it. So upcoming workshops, we've got to go. I think we only have a minute or so left. Anything that you've got online or um, a website that you want to tell our listeners about how to find you? Sure. Uh, LisaSamet.com is a good place to start. And I have, that's my website. I have all different kind of things there, upcoming webinars and uh, YouTube videos that I'll be posting. Also on Instagram, LisaSametMD, standing for Naturopathic Doctor. So on Instagram, I post a few times a week little snippets from the book and little kind of, I don't know, I think they're uplifting insights, which, you know, could be relevant on any given day. (laughs) Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Great, great to connect with you. We've been speaking with Lisa Samet about her book, Emotional Repatterning, Healing Emotional Pain by Rewiring the Brain. You can find all the links because I think Mark was pointing. He's also put them right there. And um, the show will be on again Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. at um, Conscious Living on Co-op Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver. And then after that, available as a podcast on www.consciouslivingradio.org. And also on our YouTube channel, which is, Mark? Well, I, I think it's just Conscious Living. YouTube gets its own string. But just search Conscious Living Radio, Conscious Living Network, and we are now on YouTube. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks Thank for joining. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was fun. I want to be free, so free, like a feather blowing through the breeze, like a bird in a tree. Play.
Listening to Conscious Living Radio. For free show downloads, additional information about our guests and topics, or details about upcoming programs, check us out at consciouslivingradio.org.